Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18. Well, as we read last time, after David had finished talking with Saul, and this is after the defeat of Goliath the Philistine, It says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with him because David loved him, uh, because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And we talked uh, the last time about this whole idea of the relationship with Jonathan and David. And so I'll just refer back to that for any commentary there. I do think there is a socioeconomic element that gets overlooked in everything happening in chapter 18. That David was not destitute, but he was not from an important or nor wealthy family. And so this idea of giving him his cloak and his bow and his belt is he's basically uh, giving him a, a hand out, a hand up here's a good clothes to wear in the king's presence. Here's some equipment and tools that you will need in his service that you yourself do not have. Uh, verse five, whenever, uh, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's speaking of uh, Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet the king with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. And they danced and sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They had credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only with, ta- with thousands. And when more came, uh, what more he came, excuse me, what more he can get but the kingdom. Meaning Saul saying, hey, you know, the only step from here is my job. I like being king, and David is the biggest threat on the block right now. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul, and he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. And Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. It says the evil spirit was from God. This is one of the um, most complex or complicated verses in the Bible. And I'll say this. Was the evil spirit from God or was it allowed by God? If I was to only take this verse, then I would say, yes, God sends evil spirits to people. But when we are dealing with biblical interpretation, and I would expand that to say interpretation of any text, biblical or non-biblical, you don't take one verse and build out the rest. You take the whole of the Bible and use it to inform that one verse. And the rest of the Bible makes it clear that evil does not come from God, but that God allows things to happen. Saul has already rebelled against God in his heart and his actions. The kingdom has already been declared, taken away from him by God. Saul, we're going to find out later, there was uh, idolatrous things happening in his own household. There was, was evil happening in his heart already. So it could be that God is allowing it. It could also be that God is sending it as a judgment. 
that the works of evil in this world are in rebellion to God, but God dominates them. We're actually going to see this in a little bit, how God dominates. And so it could be that God takes this evil spirit and says, hey, you're out there doing whatever you want, but I am going to use you for my purpose. And as a judgment to Saul, Saul is already rebelled in his heart. Saul, Saul is already in opposition to God. Here is part of his consequences, which is this torment. But then he tries to kill David. We aren't told what triggers this or what's happening. It's interesting that he's prophesying while all this is going on. David's playing music and Saul is prophesying. Maybe he's praying. We don't, we don't fully understand what's happening here. Um, but, but I think the bigger idea is just simply that while he seems on the outward, Saul seems to be living for God. On the inward, he is not. And the results come out. And he tries to kill David. This is why we believe in sobriety. We're, we're against um, things that would influence us because we know that domestic violence is linked to a lack of sobriety in so many cases. We know that, that rebellion and sin lead to breakdowns in, in family and in communities. And it has results. It has effects. David's life is in danger. Remember, David is still a teenage boy. Maybe he's 14, 15 years old. Maybe. And now he's got a grown man trying to kill him, somebody he can't stop. The power dynamics, uh, the king to a young servant, doesn't matter how popular David is, his life is in danger. And so David is uh, twice had a spear thrown at him. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he had departed but the Lord had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him a command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaign. So Saul's like, get out of here. And maybe he thinks that this young guy will fail at this big job, but David is faithful, does the, does the work and has success. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Verse 15, when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Saul said to David, here's my oldest daughter, Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. And Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. So what Saul's saying is, you know, eventually David's going to get killed in battle. And it'll look like I'm a good guy here because I gave him my daughter in marriage and I gave him a position. But eventually, you know, the odds are he will die in battle. But Saul said to David, who am I and what is my family or my clan in Israel so that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merab, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was actually given in marriage to Adrael of Mahola. Now, David's exam, uh, exhibiting some humility here, um, some recognition of where he's at in life. So now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. He said, I will give her to him, he thought so that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. What does he mean by a snare to him? There's a few things this could mean. It could mean that he thinks, you know what, he's going to lose his edge in battle. You know, I mean, we're not dealing with a modern view of men and women here, so maybe he thinks, oh, women will make him weak. And uh, so he'll lose his edge and the Philistines will get him. Maybe he thinks so little of his daughter Micah that, that he thinks, oh man, 
She's going to be a snare to him. She will just wear him down. You know, this, this idea, again, this isn't how I think of women or how the, you know, how I think God thinks of women, but this is uh, just how their culture viewed women. Either way, it's not a good uh, look on how Saul viewed his daughter. So he thinks, oh, this will really get him. And so then he orders his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you and his attendants all love you. Now become his son-in-law. And they repeated these words to David, but David said, do you know, or do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I am only a poor man and little known. Now he's not little known. He's incredibly famous in his, um, in his nation. So he's got displaying humility, but he's also displaying reality. You know, you get these people that get a big head, a lot of pride, full of themselves, and they think they're a bigger deal than they are. And they aren't aware of their own situation. And David was, yes, I serve the king. And yes, there's benefits to that. But I'm still a poor man. I don't own land. I don't have a, a, a fortune. My family isn't rich. And the king's daughter, you know, there, she has a certain standard of living she's expecting. Plus, in that culture, uh, you had to pay a certain dowry uh, to the family as part of the deal, the, the, the marriage transaction. And he doesn't have any of that. So, uh, verse 24, when Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. And Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hand of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. And they counted the full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave uh, gave him his daughter, Michael, in marriage. Okay. So Saul basically says, go out and kill a hundred of our enemies, and that's the price. David goes twice as much because he's showing, hey, I, I, David's actually like really an honest actor in this whole thing. Like he's taking the king at his word. He's giving Saul all the benefit of the doubt. He, he's doing all of the things and more that Saul asks. And so he brings him all this stuff. He gets uh, Michael in marriage. And when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, he became still more afraid of him and remained his enemy the rest of his days. So here's, here's his plan. Oh, the Philistines will get him because he's got to go, go get a hundred of them. And, you know, he'll, he's not taking the whole army with him. It'll just be him and, and some troops. And David does twice as much as is asked. Oh, Michael doesn't really love him. She's just, you know, a little silly girl. She's infatuated with him, but she'll, oh, wait, she really loves him? Ooh. And he's afraid of David. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met them with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. The Philistine commanders, remember the Philistines for a long time had oppressed Israel, had conquered parts of Israel, had enslaved parts of Israel, had... um, pillaged and stolen from parts of Israel. And now under Saul, the nation had coalesced into a a cohesive group, one nation. And they were now standing against the Philistines. And now they have this new commander, David, who is leading the charge and keeping them at bay and protecting the people. And all this seems really good, but Saul, who's not after the good of the people, who's not after seeking God, he's only after himself, He's threatened and fearful. 
verse 1, chapter 19, says that Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Saul does not realize what's going on. Remember, he, he doesn't get that his daughter Michael really loves David. He doesn't get that Jonathan is like David's best friend. And wait, you think I'm going to kill David, Dad? I, he's my best friend. But Saul is so self-focused and so unaware of what's going on that he doesn't get where the, the fault lines and the, uh, you know, the loyalties lie. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak to him about you, and I'll tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He he took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it, and you were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation, and he brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. And once more war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines, and he struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in the house with the spear in his hand. And while David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night, David made good his escape. So you think, oh, we can just fix this. If we'll just reason with Saul. But they're only trying to deal with the symptoms, Saul's jealousy and his hatred for David. And they're not trying to get to the root of the problem, which is Saul's rebellion to God. Saul does not repent. Saul doesn't seek God. He doesn't humble himself. They're only trying to deal with the symptoms. That's always a good reminder to us who are believers. The church has so often tried to deal with the symptoms of problems. We want to get people, you know, hey, I think this is a problem in your life. We need to focus on stopping that instead of getting to the root of the problem, which is, do you want Jesus? Do you surrender yourself to the will of God? You know, you're trying to deal with the symptoms and never the root, and you never fix the actual problem. And so they think everything's fixed, everything's good again, but the root is not changed. Saul is still rebellious to God, and God is judging Saul for his rebellion and his wickedness. And it starts all over again because the root was not dealt with. Saul sent men to David's house, verse 11, to watch it and kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael uh, let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took an idol. Wait, what? Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair on its head. And when Saul sent the men to capture David, she said, uh, Michael said, he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see if see David and told them, bring him up to me in his bed so that I might kill him. So basically, they, they go to get David. Michael said, oh, he's, he's ill. He's lying in bed. He's very sick. Don't come near. You don't want to get this. So then they go back and tell it to Saul. And Saul says, just bring the bed here. I'm going to kill him. So they go back. But when the men entered, they saw that there was an idol in the bed and the hair of some uh, goats on its head. And Saul said to Michael, why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? And Michael said, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So Michael lies. And she says, oh, you know, he threatened to kill me. So I had to let him go. When David fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told all that Saul had done to him. 
there's an idol in their house. Why is that? This shows kind of what's going on behind the scenes. It gives us some glimpses into things. That there is idolatry in the family of Saul. Remember, David and Michael are newly married at this point. Michael came and brought that into the marriage. That home was, was brought, that idol was brought into the home because she brought it from the house of her father. That there was idolatry and immorality happening behind the scenes. And so again, you try to fix the, the symptom and you don't deal with the root of the problem. You try to fix the symptom. Oh, I need you guys to stop fighting. Well, what's the bigger issue? Is it pride? I need you guys to stop, you know, I need you guys to find a way to get along together. Well, is the, is the bigger issue selfishness? These are the deeper things that we don't want to deal with. We just want to deal with the symptoms. There was idolatry and rebellion in the house of the king. And so he goes to Samuel, David goes to Samuel. He tells the old prophet everything that goes on. Then it says, then he and Samuel went to Nath and stayed there. And the word came to Saul, David is in Nath at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw the group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the spirit of God came on Saul's men and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it and he sent more men and they prophesied too. And then Saul sent men a third time and they also prophesied. And finally he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Seku. And he asked, where is Samuel and David? And they said, over in Naoth at Ramah. And so Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth, and he stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence, and he lay naked all day and all that night. And this is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? That's a weird story. What's going on there? I'm not going to claim to fully understand because what I think will happen is we will try to project our own experience onto these things. I had a friend years ago uh, text me and they said, hey, I'm reading uh, the book of Acts. I said, great. And they said, you know, it says that Peter was full of the Holy Spirit and he stand up and spoke. Does that mean that he was speaking in tongues? Because they had been attending a charismatic church and the only experience that they had, the only teaching they had about being filled with the Spirit was to speak in tongues, which is this thing that happens to Christians sometimes where the Spirit of God comes upon them and in the ability is given to praise God in a language that they do not know. Found that in the book of Acts. You find it in other parts of the New Testament. And I've seen it in my own Christian experience. But the only way that they understood being filled with the Spirit was to speak in tongues. And the same thing could happen here with prophesying, that people hear this and they go, oh, well, it must be like this thing that I've heard about or seen or whatever. Word prophecy just means to speak the word of God. It could be that they were just having a big time of worship and they're praising God in song. And so we, they called it prophesying and we would call it singing or worshiping. Uh, it could be that, um, that they were shouting the praises of God or declaring the word of God, that God is holy, God is one, God is Lord over his people, God is the defender of his people. You see, they're prophesying, they're speaking the word of God. And it could be that these men, as they are coming to capture David and Samuel, God says no, and he puts his spirit on them, and they can do nothing but, but declare his praises. Saul comes with his murderous intent, and God says no, and he humbles him, strips the king naked in front of everyone and humbles him. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. 
There will come a day when God says no more and he puts an end to the rebellions of this world and he sets things right. And no one will have a choice. The truth of God will be so evident. The power of God will be so present that they will have no choice but to bow their knee and declare that Jesus is Lord. And in that day, they will prophesy and they will speak the truth of God. But it will be because of the dominance of God, not because of a repentant heart. How much better is it in this day and in this place to say Jesus is Lord because we have repented and we have said we are Jesus's and we follow him. Well, as time has ended, our 20 minutes is up. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. Audio versions are available on our Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill. You can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. Our website's faithonhill.com, and we gather on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. with small groups throughout the week. My name's Adam. I want to say thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.